0: Welcome to Full Scope, a weekly medical podcast designed to teach, inspire, and encourage listeners to question everything they know. I'm your host, Bill Brandenburg. Measles is probably the most infectious disease known to man. It was largely eradicated from many parts of the world as a result of the measles vaccine. However, recently there's been a resurgence of this fully preventable disease in 2019 there were 1,282 cases of measles in the United States that's the highest number since 1992 worldwide in 2019 there were 869,770 cases of measles this is according to a BMJ paper that's the highest number since 1996 there were an estimated 207,500 deaths worldwide from measles. That is a huge amount of fatalities. Now, historically, in the United States, about 3 per 1,000 kids who get measles dies. In more developing nations, where things like malnutrition and and lack of medical care are a bigger issue, rates can be as high as... 10% and the morbidity that comes along with this disease in the form of potentially invading the brain deafness blindness seizures the secondary infections it causes are tremendous we have a number that we use to talk about infectivity with regard to infectious disease it's called the basic reproduction number and we're going to discuss that in depth in this podcast the Basic reproduction number is also known as the R subscript zero, which is called the R naught. Not is N-A-U-G-H-T, I believe. And so if you hear R naught, if you hear basic reproduction number, those are the same thing. I may also say things like reproduction number. For this podcast, I'm all using those terms to mean the basic reproduction number. Interestingly, even though we're talking about infectious disease here, Uh, Most of the care that we provide, especially in the United States, is related to chronic diseases, uh, diabetes, heart disease, things like that. Believe it or not, not only are infectious diseases contagious, but chronic diseases are also contagious as well if people around you are obese your chances of being obese are that much higher if people around you suffer from depression you have a higher chance of suffering from depression and of course related to infectious disease that are spread um, from person to person being around other infectious people is certainly going to raise your chance of getting the infection so let's dive in i hope you enjoy this topic i think it's super relevant right now All right, let's start this conversation off by defining the terms epidemic and pandemic. An epidemic is an increase in the amount of a certain disease or infection in a given population over a short amount of time. Now, for some already endemic diseases, we have objective or defined rates above the baseline rate, which we use to determine when an epidemic is occurring. For instance, a given country may know how many cases of flu they have in a given year. If they go above that threshold by a certain amount, they may have a, quote, epidemic of flu in that given year at that given place. Now, for an an emerging or new disease, that threshold can be kind of um, subjective uh, as to when we decide, okay, this is spreading enough and there's been enough cases that we're now dealing with an epidemic. When an epidemic grows and starts to jump country borders, continents, basically grows out into uh, other populations, and then starts to spread within those other populations. We define that as a pandemic. And a pandemic obviously is a worse situation than an epidemic. Control has been lost and the disease is spreading all over the place. This can happen both with infectious diseases. Um, COVID 19 is the most pressing example. In 1918, the H1N1 flu was another example of a pandemic that killed probably 50 million people worldwide. This also happens with chronic diseases. Um, things like obesity and diabetes are spreading uh, across the globe at alarming rates. They started in the United States but are now spreading everywhere. And as such, both of those are probably accurately described as pandemics. In order to uh, look at how a disease is spreading or its capability to spread, we use a really interesting, cool number called the basic reproductive number. And what this number attempts to tell us is for each infected individual. Take COVID-19, for example. For every person with COVID-19, how many people they will spread the disease to in a population that does not have immunity to that disease. So it basically is how many people one person will infect in a population that does not have any immunity to that disease. And so the first thing that should become obvious to you is that giving an entire population a vaccine against a given disease or infection will not change the basic reproduction number, because you have taken people in that population and now made them immune to the disease, and so it can't be spread to them. The second thing that should become obvious right away regarding the basic reproduction number is that there's no time constraint. There is no time within that definition. While certain infectious diseases like say, measles and COVID-19, have a short, defined infectious period um, where the disease can be spread to other people. Other diseases, like HIV, for example, may have a much longer infectious period, years and years, where people can potentially spread the infection. And so that is an important concept to understand. The third important concept regarding the basic reproduction number is that It's not a biological constant. Depending on the time, place, and actions of the population where the infection or disease is is occurring, the basic reproduction number can change. For instance, in the United States, we live in oftentimes suburbs, houses. We're separated by yards between other people. Think about the ability of an infectious disease to spread in that scenario versus in a downtown area where you live in an apartment complex with 500 or a thousand other people. Think about that in comparison to a slum in India. A place where you've got people just packed in living with unsanitary conditions having to contact each other daily by necessity. And you start to realize that a reproductive number is going to be very specific to the environment and behaviors the disease is, is outbreaking in. When you look at diseases, uh, you know, that had occurred 500 years ago before people had diagnostics and understandings of infectious disease like we do today, you can imagine the reproductive number may have been very different. Because people often didn't understand on a on a large scale the importance of things like changing behavior to prevent infection. When COVID-19 started, everyone acted like we didn't have any type of protection or, or anything to uh, help us combat this vaccine. That was entirely false. We have... Age-old, proven ways to prevent the spread of vaccine uh, to prevent the spread of infection that have been around for centuries, that have worked for centuries, that have kept thousands, millions, even billions of people alive for centuries, and that's isolation. Staying away from other people can prevent the spread of infectious diseases. This is why you heard things like "stay six feet away from other people," "wash your hands frequently," "try not to touch." public surfaces. If you are going out in public and around other people, wear a mask. We know this is a respiratory disease spread by respiratory droplets. If you can catch those respiratory droplets before they leave your mouth or enter someone else's, that can prevent the spread of infection. By using all of these techniques, we can essentially lower the reproductive number. That is very powerful. And it's hard for me right now to not look at other countries, China, for instance, who effectively put aggressive measures like this in place and eradicated the disease within their population. The fact that my home state of Idaho has had more COVID-19 cases and deaths than the entire country of China, where the pandemic started, is, uh, is concerning to me. Now, granted, and as an aside, I was all for aggressive measures early on, a year in, I'm getting burned out. Humans only live for 70 to 80 years, especially if you're older, you may not have many years left, so the idea of continuing this for a couple years is a lot. And so while I'm still, of course, wearing masks, washing my hands, things I often do during cold and flu season regardless... I'm not on board for shutdowns, and certainly I don't think schools should be shut, et cetera, et cetera. But what I am saying is that you can use these things, which we've known for thousands of years, to stop an epidemic in its tracks and not have to deal with the tremendous mortality and morbidity that the United States will deal with with COVID 19 for years to come. Okay, back to the basic reproduction numbers. Now, the number that you want to focus on for the basic reproduction number is 1. If this number is greater than 1, you are going to have growth of the disease or infection within the population. For instance, if for every one person that is infected, they infect two people, you're going to see growth of that thing fast. If the reproductive number is 12 to 18, say for an infection like measles, you're going to see really fast spread. So the goal of any public health, any disease infection mitigation efforts are to lower the reproductive number. We want to get this number less than one because that means eventually if every person infected is spreading it to less than one person, the disease will die out. And so a lot of people view the basic reproduction number as a threshold. If we can drive this number less than one, that's going to be important. The other interesting way that I like to use the basic reproduction number is to compare the infectivity of different pathogens. I think it's really interesting to line up all the different diseases and have a numerical value that can tell you how infective these different agents are. Remember, you got to take it with a grain of salt. You have to be sure to look at the time, the place, the scenario, and kind of be very scrutinizing when judging a basic reproduction number. But kind of overall, I, I think it's fascinating and fun to look at diseases from an infectivity standpoint like this. Pew! Okay, when I look at papers on the reproductive number, I see a lot of angry scientists around because people often misuse, misinterpret, and miscalculate this uh, metric. They also say things like, oh, if we can get a vaccine, we can lower the basic reproductive number, which, as we discussed in the initial part of the podcast, is not true. That's not how the basic reproductive number is defined. It's defined as the spread in a population that has no immunity. And so we've come up with various mathematical models to calculate the basic reproductive number. We often use initial epidemiological data to then calculate um, they are not within a given population. Interestingly, the mathematical models used to calculate this number don't all agree. So if you use a different model you're going to get a basic reproductive number that is different even given the same data. On top of this, data collection is often very difficult, particularly in the early stages of a new disease within a population, and particularly in emerging or brand-new infectious disease, because we often don't even have ways to uh, diagnose and and accurately measure who has it and who doesn't. And so we're going to get data that's not necessarily perfect. And so with those um, constraints, the fact that the data acquisition is difficult and never perfect, the fact that the mathematical... um, ways we use to calculate it are not perfect quite frankly I can't even understand them because I haven't gone through past calculus too Um, you're gonna get different numbers you're gonna get a lot of mathematical epidemiology people that are angry at other people for screwing it up Um, but at the end of the day I think it is a really interesting number I think just looking at diseases and getting a baseline for how infective a given disease is. And also, like I said, using it as that threshold. Let's get the basic reproductive number less than one so that we can stop this disease, stop this infection, and get the spread under control. I want to highlight three diseases, which we already talked about a little bit regarding basic reproductive number, just to highlight the point a little more, and then we're going to call it good for this podcast. The first disease I want to talk about is measles. Measles is a virus that has plagued humanity for a few millennia at least. This is a single-stranded, negative-sense RNA virus in the family paramyxoviridae, Viridae. another noteworthy member of this family is the mumps virus remember the common vaccine measles mumps and rubella live attenuated an important one not to forget measles basically has the highest reproductive number um, on most all charts that i can find Typically, it ranges from 12 to 18, meaning that in an unvaccinated, unimmune population, for every one person infected with measles, they will infect 12 to 18 other people. Measles is spread by airborne transmission. That means that when people breathe, they produce small aerosolized droplets or sorry i shouldn't say droplets that makes it confusing small aerosolized particles that then float in the air they are aerosolized they float around people and so anyone within even the space around an infected person is going to be at high risk for getting the infection when we deal with um, infections spread by aerosolizations, uh, another common one is tuberculosis we have to be really cautious in the hospital because these things spread really easily and so typically we use engineering controls a negative pressure room where we're actually sucking air um, out of the room and then out of the hospital so that it's not flowing out into the halls or, or whatnot on top of that we use frequent hand washing and basic infection control methods the things that have been game changers since we discovered them years and years ago um staying clean washing hands etc etc and then finally we use aerosol contact precautions we use an n95 mask that's a mask that's going to filter out 95 percent of particles at three microns um we use along with that gowns and gloves as well and so that's kind of our highest precaution is aerosol precautions Remember, early in the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a lot of debate between whether or not COVID was droplet or aerosols. It's kind of fallen squarely into the droplet category, but there's still some concern that, that, that in certain situations, there may be some aerosolizing and transmissibility of the disease. But measles is spread via the aerosol and contact routes. It is extremely contagious. And it is a bad infection. Basically, about two to three per thousand kids infected in the United States prior to um, large vaccination campaigns would die. You can imagine that if measles returned on a population level, thousands and thousands of children in the United States would die. Globally, this virus killed millions and is now on the resurgence. When you look at measles, it becomes obvious why it spreads so well. It's not just because of the aerosolization; it's also uh, because of how the disease occurs. Basically, measles starts with um, a set of symptoms that are not the rash. You get a typically a high fever. Let's just let's just go over a case actually. So. Um, A four-year-old patient comes in. His mom says that he had about three days of very high fevers to 105 degrees Fahrenheit, along with a cough, a runny nose, and conjunctivitis. Approximately three or four days into the illness, the child then developed a severe red maculopapular rash, which started on the child's face and then progressed down to the kid's feet. And over approximately um, seven or eight days, that rash finally faded out. The kid is doing okay now, but they're still very tired, and the mom notes that they just aren't thinking as clear and don't have the energy they did before. That is the classic presentation of measles. Now remember, three out of a 1,000 of those kids that came in with that would be dead. In developing countries where things like malnourishment can be a big problem, up to 10% or 100 out of 1,000 kids could be dead as a result of the measles virus. A small percentage also would have measles which would invade their brain, which could cause things like blindness, deafness, seizures, and other problems. So this can be a bad bad deal, a very bad deal. Now, measles is infectious, usually starting four days before um, the rash, and then continuing for about five days after. And so what you have is a situation where people don't know they have measles. They might just think that they have another infection like the flu or something. And so um, it's just a a lot of opportunity, a long time span to spread, and anybody in the house is going to have a 90-plus percent chance of getting infected, anyone that's around them in public within that six feet distance is going to have a high chance of getting infected. So you can see between the aerosolization, um, the 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 infectivity both before and after the rash, you get a perfect recipe for something that can spread fast and quick. The next virus I want to talk about is the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV. HIV is actually two viruses, HIV one and two, and it's believed to have come from non human primates, particularly chimpanzees in Western Africa. This infection took the world by storm in the 1980s. People were showing up essentially with terrible infections and a non functioning immune system. Because of its spread via sexual body fluids and blood, it's well categorized as a sexually transmitted disease, although there are other modes of transmission. It has a very um, strong transmission rate when somebody is the recipient of anal sex. Uh, The anal uh, or the rectum has just got a great environment for uh, these uh, virus particles to get into the human body. It initially spread quite a bit in the men who sleep with men population and as a result uh, caused devastating problems within that community. There was a lot of persecution and shaming and other just inappropriate things that went on during that time period that were um, probably very tough on that community. But eventually we learned that it's not just men who sleep with men. It can spread to all different types of people via uh, different routes, including from mother to baby. In spite of its rocky beginnings, HIV has become One of the most amazing success stories in medicine because in a very small amount of time we came up with drugs that can essentially make it so the virus is undetectable in the body and people can live normal, happy uh, lifespans. HIV is a single-stranded positive sense RNA virus in the family Retroviridae. When we first discovered how it worked, it essentially blew our small, primitive scientific minds. The RNA in the HIV virus gets converted into DNA via a reverse transcriptase enzyme. So basically, normally, DNA turns into RNA, which then turns into proteins. That's kind of the central dogma of how a lot of our cell... or. or all of our human cells, but how most cells work in the natural world. Um, when this was discovered, it basically went against that central dogma because HIV was turning RNA into DNA. It was then putting the DNA into our own genome, laying dormant for a certain amount of time, and then resurfacing aggressively um, as AIDS or acquired immunodeficiency, and it was killing people. And this would typically take years with average numbers being reported at uh, around nine, ten years or so. Unlike measles, HIV is spread through contact with um, body fluids, usually um, sexual body fluids, but also possible to be spread uh, with infected blood. And so you can see right away that an infectious event is going to be much rarer. You're not going to get HIV by kissing someone, touching somebody, sleeping in the same bed with someone, living in the same house with someone. It's going to be something that's going to be passed uh, with uh, intimate sexual relations or blood exposure, maybe by sharing needles or something else like that. The difference is time. People have years to spread the HIV virus with measles. They had about an 8-day window where they were very infectious and going to spread it anywhere. With HIV, this could be for years and years. And so you see, the basic reproduction number is not tied to time. It is tied to the virus or the bacteria or whatever other infectious agent you are studying. As stated earlier, HIV is one of the great success stories in medicine. Over the course of a few decades, we went from not knowing what the virus even was or what the cause of the disease, acquired immunodeficiency even was, to having an entire suite of different medications used to combat HIV. These days, people with HIV are placed on highly active antiretroviral therapy. Heart therapy, generally with a combination of three different anti-HIV drugs. Sometimes these are um, medications that inhibit the reverse transcriptase enzyme. Sometimes they inhibit proteins in, in the HIV molecule. But basically, by taking a combination of them, we can drive the number of those viral particles in an individual to an undetectable level. It's as if they don't have HIV anymore. Now, unfortunately, if we take those drugs away, the virus comes back. But as long as they're on those medications, they will have an undetectable level of virus. And on top of that, when someone achieves this undetectable level, basically they can engage in sexual activity with other people without barriers and not spread the disease to them. Now, I don't want people to go crazy or, or, or think this is um, a good safety mechanism, you know, oh, you're viral, it's undetectable, let's not worry about protection. But in fact, that is just what we see. People who are compliant with their drugs, have been undetectable for a long period of time, simply do not spread or shed the virus anymore. So pretty amazing. Eventually, we may vaccinate HIV out of our society entirely. But for now, we have several drugs that work well. I just wish they weren't so expensive. The next infection that I want to talk about, the one nearest and dearest to our hearts right now, is the SARS-CoV-2 infection. COVID-19, or SARS-CoV-2, is in the family Coronaviridae. It's a type of coronavirus Um, these are positive sense single-stranded RNA viruses other noteworthy members of this family include the MERS or Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome virus as well as the initial SARS or the initial severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus one if you will these are interesting viruses they um, have kind of come out of uh, several different animal reservoirs. SARS-CoV-2 is believed to have come from bats with another species, pangolins, which are actually scaly anteaters, um, thought to play some role. A lot of times these new diseases can mix with a few animals and then um, eventually become something that can both infect and then spread, uh, be spread by different humans. We all kind of know the symptoms of SARS, or at least uh, a little bit familiar. It generally um, starts with just cold and and flu-type symptoms, fever, congestion, uh, other respiratory symptoms. Sometimes there can be a GI component or even a predominantly GI component as well. Lost of taste and smell is also a big issue. And then, of course, fevers. Um, As the disease progresses, typically... After a week to 10 days, some people can develop uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, and that is the SARS part of the COVID-19, and this is when people are being hospitalized. This is when people are having to go to the ICU and be intubated, and so it's really later in the disease that people generate uh, serious consequences, but when people start developing symptoms, they're believed to be infectious, And that infection is thought to be spread by contact and droplet precautions. Droplet is somewhat similar to aerosol spread, but droplets tend to be larger particles, generally bigger than five microns. Um, But those number cutoffs are kind of vague and and, uh, maybe not the best way to think about it. But larger particles that tend to come out of, of the mouth and nose and then fall to the ground. And so... Generally, just a basic surgical mask is enough to um, do droplet precautions. And that's why for SARS-CoV-2 in the hospital, we're wearing surgical masks and and things like that. Initially, we were wearing N95s because we were worried about the, the potential for airborne transmission as well. That first week of the infection before things get bad can often be a fairly mild illness. People might have minimal symptoms, a little bit of a cold, a little bit of stuffy nose, things that would never keep people uh, from away from work normally. Aside from droplet, as stated, the infection can also be spread via contact precautions, so touching surfaces that have recently been um, touched by an infected person, directly touching their body, kissing them, hugging them, things like that. The... Basic reproductive number for SARS-CoV-2 has been um, estimated at different amounts, uh, with numbers generally ranging between 2 and 6. But either way, uh, anything, as we said, above 1 is going to be an an infection that's going to be growing and, and potentially could then cause an epidemic and later a pandemic. So... Those are three different examples of infections. They're all spread in uh, different ways. Measles is an aerosolized um, viral spread, so it basically floats in air around infected people. SARS-CoV-2 is droplets, so basically when they breathe out or um, sing or uh, touch things, those particles are going to be spewing out of their mouth but then are going to fall fairly quickly to the ground. And so we're going to use things like surgical masks, gloves, um, distancing, etc., hand washing. And then finally, HIV, which is spread via um, contact with infected bodily fluids, either sexual or blood. And so that's kind of a a type of contact precaution, but not your standard um, contact as uh, per se for SARS-CoV-2 or for Clostridium difficile or any of the things that are, say, um, fecal-oral route that you could touch and then eat some food, and then you it would get into your GI tract and infect you, having come uh, out of somebody else's bottom <laughs> at some recent point. Um, I hope that these three examples illustrate to you how uh, the basic reproductive number can be different with different infections, how it does not relate to time in any way, and how the time and place is so important uh, for the calculation of the basic reproductive number because it's not going to be the same in any different time or in any different place, even for the exact same infection. So anyway, that's the basic reproductive number. We also touched on some things uh, related to precautions, in particular aerosol eyes, which are the smallest particles that float in the air around infected people. Droplets, which are larger uh, respiratory secretions that can spew out but then more quickly fall to the ground. Intend not to float around uh, infected persons as well. Contact precautions. And then even uh, another step down is contact precautions for um, infected bodily fluids and stuff like that. We're going to move on um, in the next installment of this and talk about smallpox. Smallpox which is a crazy virus that caused horrible disease in humans for hundreds and thousands, probably thousands of years. It leads to a a very disfiguring rash and kills a lot of people. Along with that, we're going to talk about emerging infectious diseases in general, where these infections are coming from, and what we need to do to keep an eye on them and stop them. After that, we're going to get into the vaccines that are currently in use and kind of with broad strokes, uh, looking at the different types. And then finally, we're going to finish by looking at the novel technology used to produce the vaccine that is currently being rolled out for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. So tune in for more information. This is part of the infectious disease vaccine journey. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe out there. Remember, our behavior can be used to effectively lower the reproductive number of any infectious disease. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full Scope Podcast. You can find a lecture summary, key points, and any references on our website, fullscope.org. Additionally, this is the official podcast of Wonder Medicine PLLC, a for-profit medical clinic located in Boise, Idaho. As Carly and I own the clinic and draw revenue from it, we thought we should uh, disclose it as a conflict of interest. Disclaimer alert! It's a trap! The Full Scope podcast was designed and created for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or provide clinical knowledge specific to the care of any actual patient or population of patients. If you are in need of medical advice or treatment, contact a physician. The views and opinions portrayed on Full Scope are Dr. Brandenburg's. They do not represent the views or opinions of Wander Medicine Clinic, any of the academic institutions mentioned on the Full Scope podcast or website, or any of the hospitals which Dr. Brandenburg has or currently works at.